This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free online resource for health professionals' education. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Hello, and welcome to the Nursing World Shared Practice Forum podcast series. My name is Jen Stedman, and I'm the clinical coordinator of the Medical Intensive Care Unit at Boston Children's Hospital. And I'm here today with Erin Quinlan and Jen Schleybusch to talk a little bit about mindfulness. Erin is a board-certified psychiatric and mental health nurse. Prior to receiving her BSN from the MGH Institute, Erin received a BS in health science at the University of Hartford. Erin is currently enrolled at Drexel University, where she is obtaining her MS in complementary and integrative health. Erin joined Boston Children's Wellness Program, providing Reiki, relaxation, massage, and guided meditation to patients, families, and staff. Erin is certified in clinical aromatherapy and is a Reiki master. And Jen has her Bachelor's of Science in Psychology and is currently obtaining her Master's of Science in Holistic Clinical Mental Health Counseling and Clinical Licensure. She joined the Boston Children's Family Wellness Program, providing integrative therapies such as Reiki, breathwork, meditation, and mindfulness instructions to patients, families, and staff. She holds certifications as a Reiki master, crystal healing Reiki master, and a tapping instructor. So welcome, Jen and Erin. Thank you for having us. Hi, thanks. So a few questions for you today about mindfulness. Um, What exactly is mindfulness and how would you describe it? It's a great question. I think a lot of people think mindfulness is one thing. Um, It's actually a bunch of different practices, but mindfulness by definition is the way of being. It's a practice of non-doing. Um, mindfulness can teach us how to suspend all that we're doing and shift easily to just a being mode and how to make time for yourself. It also slows down and fosters calmness and helps with self-acceptance. Could you maybe list for our viewers the different types of mindfulness and maybe describe them each just a little bit? Definitely. So I like to look at mindfulness as an umbrella. There's multiple different um, practices that you can utilize. There's journaling, which you can just journal yourself in a notebook, or you can use journals that have journal prompts, which are nice. There's also guided imagery, where you can kind of do a meditation and have a visualization while you're in that meditative state and kind of help you kind of reach that relaxation Also, there's yoga, which yoga, you don't have to utilize an hour yoga practice. Of course, we would all love to, and I love to do an hour yoga practice, but during work or if you're in a room as a patient, it's, that's challenging to do. There are techniques that you can do yoga exercises when you're sitting in a chair or just simple yoga movements that you can do on your own instead of having an instructor. There's also breath work that Jen has taught about, but there's also energy modalities, which I think a lot of people are less familiar with. Reiki falls under that energy modality. There's also acupuncture. There is tapping. So as you can see, mindfulness is not just one practice. There are various practices that can help one become mindful. What is your background in wellness? So how how did you get here? What led you to this field of practice? Um, so I got introduced to integrative therapies about six years ago. Uh, working in behavioral health, you kind of 
need a coping skill of yourself after working a long day and managing other people's emotions and behaviors and feelings. And so I kind of got introduced to yoga and kundalini yoga and really kind of enhanced my knowledge and education in integrative therapies. So I really wanted to start to further explore it. And I had the opportunity at Children's to get my Reiki one level when I was working over at the Waltham CBAT. And from there, I proceeded to do my Reiki two. And just most recently, Jen and I obtained our Reiki master. Yeah, uh, my path to here was similar. Uh, working with the behavior response team uh, in the very early days, I was in the emergency department. Uh, and we did a lot of breath work activities with kiddos coming into the emergency department. Because uh, it's a scary environment and you're there generally for an emergency. So uh, we taught kiddos how to really take good deep breaths in through their nose and out through their mouth. And with the little ones, we use pinwheels as little objects to help them practice and blow harder. Uh, and, you know, it's it's really a helpful technique as we're going to get into in a little bit. Um, but when you're teaching these things to especially teenagers, they're a little bit resistant when you say, hey, let's just take some deep breaths. So we came up with some different strategies and techniques on how to teach that that made it a little bit more fun. Uh, and then, yeah, I got into my own uh, investigation of different things that we could do and modify to teach uh, in different ways. Uh, and yeah, fell into Reiki here at Children's, which was wonderful. And we've been so lucky to be able to do it for families and parents and patients and staff. Great. So it sounds like both of you have find have found your mindfulness practices, but how would I know which mindfulness practice is right for me? What if I've tried some things that haven't really fit? It's a great question. I think with mindfulness, um, we have to remember that what works for me is not going to always work for you or the other person or Jen. Um, we really have to find our own there's various mindfulness practices out there. And I think a lot of it really depends on education and awareness and finding people to kind of guide you and support you, especially if you're new to practices as such. Yeah, I think that it's important when people are trialing different um, practices and methods, you know, you may try one thing and you may give it a fair shot and still decide that it's not really the one for you. And that's okay because there are many, many, many things to try. Uh, and I think the other point is other than just trying a few different things, it is to really sort of give it some time um, because the more that you practice, the more effective it does become. So Jen, you talked about giving it a fair shot. And so does consistency really matter? And how do you how do you know um, how long does it take to make a difference? So that's different for every person, but definitely, definitely consistency does matter. Uh, the more that you practice a relaxation technique, the more your body is apt to respond to it in a shorter time frame. Uh, your brain changes when you practice different breathing techniques. Your neural pathways change, and you can change the way that you respond physically. Uh, by practicing these techniques. So certainly practice is going to increase your results for sure. I always tell people too that if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Um, so it's, you have to practice to learn the skill set. You have to keep being consistent and stay on top of it. So a lot of times I hear the words mindfulness and resilience going together or working with one another. 
So can you talk to me a little bit about resilience and tell me how perhaps my mindfulness practices might help me boost my resiliency? Uh, sure. Let's start with resilience. Resilience, I think um, people often think that it means you have to be hard like stone and take everything that comes at you. And that's not what resilience really is. Resilience is the ability to withstand that adversity or that adverse event or situation or difficulty and to be able to bounce back to that pre-stress state in a quicker fashion, right? And so working on your resiliency means you're going to be building that skill. And there are different, there are five different skills that people talk about when they talk about building resiliency. Uh, and we can talk about those a little bit too. But then to your question, how does that help your mindfulness? It's really that your mindfulness helps your resiliency. And that's going to be one of those things that helps you to build that skill. What are some examples of the patient populations that benefit from incorporating these practices? Sure. So for sure, the kiddos that uh, I was mentioning before that sort of are coming in in the first point of crisis, you know, in the emergency department, um, we work in behavioral health. So certainly a lot of our patients that are struggling with anxiety and depression and maybe fear of the unknown of what's coming next in their stay uh, and in their treatment plan or fear of, you know, what their diagnosis means for them and, you know, how they're going to create a treatment plan with their team to move through it. Um, so it's, it's very, very helpful for many, if not most of our patients in the behavioral health realm. Um, but I would say that we use it a lot too with, with, with many patients that are here for procedures mm -hmm. or need to get through a task that might be scary. Uh, anything having to do with needles is typically something, you know, that we do a lot of these interventions for, um, you know, anything that really needs a little bit of prep work, a little bit of thoughtful planning. Uh, and de-escalation. And then also you have a skill that you can circle back to later too with that kiddo, you know, and, you know, we can use it in the, in the front end and then we can use it later again because it's familiar. So given that you are both currently practicing inpatient in medicine, um, can you talk to me a little bit about the integrative therapies and mindfulness practices that help you in your everyday practice in medicine? And maybe give us some examples that we could utilize with our patients or family or e even other staff members. I think breath work is something that we really preach uh, to other people to try and utilize. We use breath work because it's easy to do. You don't need any materials. You just need yourself. Um, and you can do it anywhere. And it takes a few minutes. It doesn't require a lot of time or needing different materials. So breathwork is definitely one that we would focus on. Yeah. And we talk a lot about even taking, uh, sometimes it's really hard to figure out what else to do if, if that's not something that's really helpful for you. And we also talk about the, the walking meditation uh, and how you can just take, take a walk, take a lap around your unit, preferably off your unit if you can. Uh, and just thinking about the rhythm of your steps and your breathing and the things that you're passing in the hallway, or even reciting a mantra to yourself and really just focusing in on, you know, yourself uh, or something that is a little bit mindless. Some people like to recite the alphabet <laughs> as they walk uh, just to clear their mind. You know, things like that are really helpful too, if you need something sort of quick to sort of bring yourself back to center. Jim brings a great point up with the mantras, something that's really easy to do too, if you're working on a unit or at, sitting at a desk, you can make just a little note card 
or like a sticky card and write a mantra on it and put it right on your computer or on the wall or in the nurse's station so that you can see it and visualize it. And it kind of is a, that reminder to be mindful and to take a second for yourself as well. And what are some of the ways that you could help healthcare workers gain support from their organization or some buy-in to start incorporating these therapies in their own medical settings? I love this question. And this is something that I like to advocate for other organizations, other healthcare workers to be aware of and to take part in evidence-based projects, participate in quality improvement projects. We really want to focus on getting the data. We work in a biomedicine world, and we really need to bring those facts and the data to leadership to show how positive the effects are. So we've talked a lot about mindfulness and how it can help um, us ourselves or our patients. Is there any special mindfulness technique that we could use to either energize ourselves or perhaps others? Yeah. So uh, one of the great breathing techniques, uh, there's left nostril breathing and right nostril breathing. Uh, and when you use right nostril breathing, you're activating the sympathetic nervous system. And so what that means is you're closing off your left nostril with your finger, just holding it closed, and you're breathing slowly in through the right all the way, all the way in, and then all the way, all the way out. And when you do that repeatedly, it does activate your sympathetic nervous system. And so it will energize you after a few minutes. Um, and conversely, when you do it the opposite way with not left nostril breathing, you close your right nostril off by holding it closed with your finger and you breathe deeply in through the left, all the way, all the way, all the way, and then all the way out again very deeply in and very deeply out. Uh, and when you do that repeatedly, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. And so that's the one that's then gonna calm us back down. Um, so it is really interesting. Uh, you can do them alternately, uh, which is really you know, going to sort of wake up your body. Um, but we do try and practice some left nostril breathing with kiddos sort of in the evening time to calm down and get ready and settling for bed. Uh, and then for staff, for ourselves, where, you know, after lunch, feeling a little bit sluggish, we practice a little bit of right nostril breathing to sort of bring us back to uh, back to life, give us a little bit of a boost. I heard you mention Reiki in the list of mindfulness practices. I, too, practice Reiki. I'm wondering if we have some listeners who maybe have never participated in Reiki. So would you be able to describe the actual process of Reiki? What are you, the Reiki master, doing for the recipient? People may not be aware, but we do have um, what we believe in integrative therapies is we have meridians. It's a biofield, and this is where everybody's energy flows. And sometimes when our energy is stuck or imbalanced or stagnant, it can cause disease, it can cause pain, whether that's physical, emotional, spiritual. And so with Reiki, the practitioners are, go through an attunement, and that's how you become a practitioner. And what, what that means is that we believe all living things have energy. So when we provide Reiki, we kind of help them get into that meditative state by starting with a body scan or muscle relaxation, and then we provide the Reiki. 
And what that means by providing is it's a hands-on technique. So we place our hands on specific locations that we learn on the body, or we hover, which is a great technique as well for those that may not want to be touched. And through the practitioner, they kind of built, they bring in the energy from the universe and kind of help regain that balance. But it's also not just about providing that new energy flow or healing of that energy. It also promotes self-healing. So it allows the individual themselves to really focus on where they need to heal whether that's like I mentioned, physically, emotionally, or spiritually. Yeah. When I explain it to kids who need a little bit of, uh, you know, an explanation about it, I always say, you know, everything has energy that's alive and we're going to help take some of the energy that's outside of your body to maybe help move some of the stuck energy that's inside your body so that it can help heal itself. Uh, you know, and that really like makes sense if you think about it that way, because everything is full of energy. Uh, and, you know, it's really interesting to hear how kids conceptualize it as well. Could you maybe share with us an example of how you've used Reiki in the clinical setting for some of your patients? I have one example that always sticks with me. It is related to a behavioral health patient. Um, it was a patient that we were well known. They had multiple admissions. They had a lot of difficult challenges that did not allow them to get the care that they needed or the appropriate care. This patient has had had autism, has some developmental delay. And for those that don't know this, it's hard to find placements for patients and, and set up supports outside of the home. It takes time and it can cause patients to be readmitted various times throughout months, years, et cetera. This patient that I worked with he had some behaviors that he may aggress towards other people or even injure himself. And so I really utilized breath work with him and I tried to do it preventatively. So I would spend time with him and do breath work when he was in a calm state so that when he started to escalate, I could actually have him participate with me and it kind of minimized the escalation and prevented any other further agitation. It also is interesting because this patient particularly really loved yoga and would practice this with his father and mom and also utilized aromatherapy and helping him calm. That was a great one. I remember that patient. <laughs> Another one uh, that I think people often don't think about uh, with Reiki is um, babies. We actually work a lot with really tiny little babies uh, that are in the hospital and their parents consult us uh, to come and do Reiki at the bedside. Um, and that I think is just so special because the parents are usually, when they can be, uh, are there and Sometimes you can do it together and, um, you know, they're just so responsive, uh, you know, and you can see them either calm and fall asleep or really just sort of just self-regulate, you know, and it's really, really wonderful too when the parents can be involved. We've done, um, or I've done Reiki with a, a mom who was sitting in a chair and who was holding her son. Uh, and so we were able to do it all together, which was really nice. And then one time we did it um, in conjunction with a music therapist who came in and very quietly played um, the acoustic guitar and it was beautiful. 
Um, so there are a lot of different ways that Reiki is used here. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's really special. I think with the Reiki, with the infants was newer to me when I started this practice here at Children's. It was actually really neat to see when you're providing Reiki, you can look at the vital signs in the monitor and it really shows the, the decrease in the heart rate and the blood pressure. And it's a good indicator that the Reiki is working as you know, infants can't talk back and tell us how they felt after a session compared to other patients that can verbalize to us um, or just being able to have that engagement after. So using the monitor and using the visualizations and the biofeedback yeah. really are helpful. Yeah. We've done a lot of research on uh, sort of the the biomarkers and biofeedback from uh, Reiki and, you know, looking at studies that other people have done. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful to see the, the correlation there, but it's also really different to see it play out when you're with a patient. So we've talked a lot about how mindfulness can benefit our patients, but is there anything that you can think of in terms of mindfulness that might help support staff? Sure. Um, so we do also do um, Reiki in-house uh, for staff uh, in different venues. So uh, historically, we've done um, some pop-up events like uh, Doctor's Appreciation Day, uh, Dentist Appreciation Day, Nurses Week. We got to meet a lot of new faces during Nurses Week, which was really nice. Uh, and so when we get to do these sort of one-off events, we get to bring in a lot of people that have done Reiki before and are really big fans, but then also people who have never done it before. And that is the most fun too, because they're like, what just happened? And we get to talk about the theory and how it works and how they feel and, you know, uh, gain a few more fans that way. And then there's also um, a pilot program called the Oasis program uh, that, you know, staff can access Reiki through there. Uh, and Aaron and I have been working uh, for a couple of years now on trying to build um, some ways that are a little bit more permanent uh, for staff to access things on a more regular basis. And with the staff Reiki, I think it's really exciting to see them so calm and relieved after a session. From the sessions that I've experienced, whether they're, like Jen mentioned, have had this experience before or it's a new experience, I've always seen a positive outcome. Um, it's very rare to see a negative outcome. I, I haven't really experienced that. I don't know if Jen has, but... I have not. Yeah, I feel like it's so rewarding to see the staff, when they're so stressed out, they have a really hard job. It's hard to get off the floor in general. And when they do, even if it's only 15 minutes of a Reiki session that we provide, it really does benefit them. They have a lot of positive feedback. We do take surveys um, just to gather some data so we can see how people feel about it. And we've always seen a positive outcome. And it just is really nice to know that it there is something that can help them decrease their stress. And when you do decrease your own stress um, by the research and literature, it actually provides a more positive outcome for your care that you provide your patient. 
definitely the nurses that have come through for Reiki are very appreciative. That's true. And, you know, they look forward to it when they see that sign up sheet on the unit. It makes their whole day, you know, and then they get a little reset, you know, uh, right in the middle of the day to go back and, and feel really refreshed. I think it is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Jen and I like to really zen out wherever we are, whether it's in just a treatment room or in a little office space that we get to use for the day. It's really nice. We do make it very zen and relaxing. Very and, dark so that your yeah. nervous system immediately just goes way down. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets to lie down and be comfortable for a few minutes and really just focus on themselves mm-hmm. and, and experience some really nice energy work. Yeah. The best hey. is when they kind of fall asleep and you have to kind of wake <laughs> them up to go back. You feel bad because you don't want them. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to wake them up, but sometimes you have to. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all I have on my end in terms of questions. Um, It was really great hearing from you and understanding a little bit more about mindfulness. So thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. Check out the description box to view the resources and journal articles referenced in this podcast. To hear more podcasts like this one, log on to openpediatrics.org.